this Saturday at 10 a.m. Amen. This Saturday at 10 a.m. If you are a voting member, uh, please be here. Uh, please be here. Amen. Uh, it's not super spiritual business. It's not uh, signs and wonders or anything like that, but it is the business of the church that needs to be done. Amen. Uh, so, please be here this Saturday, 10 a.m., if you are a voting member. If you're not sure if you're a voting member, please come see me. Uh, we'll get that sorted out one way or the other. Amen. Let's all stand. <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ is here. Uh, he's been here. And uh, he's waiting on us to do something with that. Praise God. To the extent that we will do something with that, we can receive from him anything that we have need of today. If we will but believe, if we will but put our hope and our confidence in God, uh, he can take care of any situation, he can take care of any need. Amen. And I believe it's his desire to do exactly that. Praise God. Let's call out on him in faith believing this morning. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We laud and we magnify you. We are so thankful for this opportunity that you've given us today to enter into the very throne room of God, the very presence of the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. Not only do we have permission, but you have specifically requested, you have given us invitation that we come, that we minister unto you with our worship and with our praise, that we spend time in your presence, that we sit at your feet and learn of you, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome awesome opportunity. What a great high privilege that you've given us today. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for all that we have in store for us today. Everything that you have to, to give. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are a true and a faithful God, that you are steadfast altogether, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Hallelujah, Jesus, that your word is a sure foundation. It is yea and amen unto us. Every promise is yea and amen to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this sure foundation. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship that we have with you, that we can hear your voice and feel your touch today. Minister to the needs represented here today, I pray, as we seek your face, as we put our hope and our trust in you, Meet the need today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. We delight to worship you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify you in this place. You are lifted up in every place because this is your creation. This is your kingdom. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto you and to you only, to you alone. We give worship and praise, glory and honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because only you are worthy to receive it. Only you sit upon the throne. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great faithfulness to the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated today.
It has become weird for me when we miss a service to get back into these lessons uh, because it messes up my whole format. Oh, woe is me, right? We'll make her, though. This lesson is standing tall on his knees. Amen. We'll be speaking about Daniel today. Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 10, is where we'll find our scripture text today. Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Daniel is a very interesting character. And we'll do a bit of a deep dive into a portion of his life today. We have a lot to learn from this Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 10, states this. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed... He went into his house and his windows, being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, before the writing was signed. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I'm sure they were shocked. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. All right, jumping down to verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and a sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. Forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt? Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. 
Throughout history, the Jewish people have faced many trials and tribulations that have threatened to destroy them individually and collectively. From the Babylonian exile to the destruction of the Second Temple to the loss of life at Masada, ancient events often brought the Jews into conflict with other nations. The Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and deported the people, never allowing them to return. The Babylonians destroyed the first temple and exiled the people. The Romans raised the second temple. European history also reveals many massacres and uprisings against the Jews. All these events paled in comparison to the Holocaust. Like Daniel, Jews chose to maintain their unique sense of identity. They continued to go to the synagogues and observe rituals and feasts. Under the terrible leadership of Adolf Hitler, the Germans forced the Jews to wear yellow stars of David to identify themselves. The Germans placed the Jews in concentration camps and killed them. Kind of understating it, but... Nevertheless, many Jews remained faithful to their God and held on to their heritage. Other individuals were also defying their own kind of authority during this time. A Swedish architect and diplomat named Raoul Wallenberg helped thousands of Jews in Hungary. Serving in Budapest, Hungary, as a special envoy to the German-occupied country, Wallenberg did whatever he could to save the lives of as many Jews as possible by providing them with Swedish passports. With many Jews sealed in a train and headed to their demise or extremely torturous living conditions, Wallenberg climbed on top of the train and started handing out Swedish passports through the doors. The Germans repeatedly commanded him to disembark, but he courageously refused. A group of soldiers known as the Arrow Cross Men added shooting to their shouting. Wallenberg ignored their deadly arrows whizzing by as he handed out more and more passports. Many have wondered how the arrows missed a sitting duck on top of a train. Wallenberg's drivers speculated that the Arrow Cross Men so appreciated Wallenberg's courage that they purposely missed. Wallenberg, however, hit as many targets as possible by handing out passports. After he handed out the last passport, he called for everyone with a passport to leave the train. He had cars waiting for the lives he had saved. The flabbergasted Arrow Cross men let, them get away, let him get away with it. Wallenberg saved around 4,500 Jews. Courage triumphed over evil. Daniel also demonstrated t- tremendous courage as he continued to pray to the Lord despite the penalty of death. Daniel had lived a good life even though he'd faced difficult circumstances after being exiled to Babylon and then seeing the Persians rise to power. Throughout his life, Daniel stayed true to the Lord. Even when his circumstances improved, he did not turn his back on God. Now, when we begin to look at the life of Daniel, as one of the very first deportees from Israel, from Judea to Babylon, this young man had some difficult choices to make, didn't he? some difficult decisions that he would have to choose. He was moving from Israel, his home country, his home culture, his home religion, to another country with a different culture and a different religion. They worshipped different gods. Their customs were different. Would he adopt the culture and customs of Babylon or stay true to his Jewish heritage? Because understand, folks, by and large, and we'll mention this several times throughout the lesson, by and large, Daniel was pretty much alone. He had his three friends, but they were pretty much alone here, surrounded by the heathen. 
surrounded by a culture that did not know or worship God at best. And he was a captive. He wasn't a tourist checking out a new place. He was part of the captivity. He was a conquered nation. Do I adopt the worship practices and religion of Babylon, which would make things a whole lot easier, or stay true to the one true living God? Uh, We understand that Daniel chose to stay faithful to God, even when very few people around him weren't. And again, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing how the story progresses and, and finishes out. But Daniel did not have that benefit. He had no clue what was going on. When he was brought, probably forcibly, into his new country, in exile, as a captive, he didn't know how this was going to pan out. And yet he stayed faithful to God. We see when they arrived that Daniel and his friends refused to drink the king's wine or eat of the king's meat. The Bible doesn't specifically state why. Maybe Daniel thought uh, that this might look like they're agreeing too much with Babylonian culture. Maybe the food and drink they were offered was sacrificed unto idols. We don't know, but in any case... He refused it. Him and his friends refused it, opting rather to eat just veggies and water. Mmm. Yuck. Anyway, God honored their sacrifice, and that was a sacrifice, folks. Those committed to their charge were afraid they would look worse for it. They were supposed to make them good and healthy looking. But God honored their faithfulness and they ended up looking actually better than those that received the king's meats and drink. God honored their faithfulness. In chapter 2 of Daniel, the king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this king Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he knew, he knew it was a troubling dream, but he can't remember the dream. And so he goes, uh, he wants the wise men to tell them the dream and the interpretation. And, of course, they started, this, nobody has ever asked anything like this of us before. Um, And Nebuchadnezzar started thinking, well, maybe you guys are just a bunch of cons. Maybe you, maybe you really aren't wise men. Maybe you really can't interpret dreams. Tell you what, you figure this out or you're all going to die. How does that sound? Are we motivated now? Do I have your attention now? Well, Daniel being one of this member, he started praying. He started asking of the Lord. And the Lord gave him everything. Gave him the dream and the interpretation of it. And because of this, Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed, he advanced Daniel above everyone else. All because he chose to remain faithful to God. It would have been very easy to make a different choice. Just blend in. 
Keep my head down. Don't get noticed. Just try to make a new living here. Do what they do. No one would have faulted Daniel for doing that. He was under no obligation to serve God in this country. In fact, serving God in this country put him at a disadvantage. It put him at uh, at detriment. It would make things more difficult for Daniel. But he did it anyway. Daniel's life is a case study of faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. His life was built on prayer, and because of this, Daniel had an excellent spirit. You can't spend this much time in prayer and not have a good spirit. Amen. Daniel and his friends were in a foreign land, living and working among those with very different, a very different belief system and a very different worldview than theirs. And again, remember, they were conquered people. They had very little, if any, rights. They would go where they were sent and did what they were told. Customs, laws, and rulers were different, but Daniel could rely on the steadfastness of God through all of it. We can always fly higher when we act appropriately, and nothing could be more true when you serve in a king's court, where one wrong word, one wrong look on your face could get you demoted or even killed. Proverbs speaks extensively about our good and proper conduct, doesn't it? I've chosen out a few choice ones. I could have spent the rest of the lesson probably on just this. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. That's wisdom, folks. Proverbs 16.23, The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth, and addeth learning to his lips. Well, I'm I'm just not a good reader. I'm just not a good student. Well, get good. This verse tells us we need to keep learning. Addeth learning to his lips. It says in the New Testament to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what we need to do. I can appreciate the fact that some of us are better readers than others. But maybe some are better readers than others because some read. You can do that what you want. But uh, practice makes perfect. Seriously, though, I encourage all of us to do what we can to learn and to grow. Reading is tough for some people. I understand that. It's never been tough for me. I don't understand being in that situation. But I know that that's the case. And to you, I would just say be patient. Keep keep working at it and pray. Because God wants this to happen in your life. God wants you to learn and grow. Audible. Audible is a beautiful thing. If you have difficulty reading... Listen. That works. That's that's legal. That's ethical. That's not cheating. That's okay. It's good. 
listen to a book on tape. <clears throat> I like listening to books on tape while I'm driving. My wife won't let me read while I'm driving. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Moving on, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three: Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. <clears throat> Proverbs eighteen seven: A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two: He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Amen. Again, there. Just read through Proverbs; it's so awesome. <clears throat> Considering that Daniel and his friends were complete outsiders, they needed even more knowledge of protocol and decorum because they would be judged more harshly if they slipped up. Daniel achieved great things and rose to great heights while in captivity, but only because God's favor was upon him, and God's favor was upon him only because of his faithful obedience to God. Period. We can see in Daniel's life that it was only God. It was because of God that he was promoted to the places that he went. God was the one that gave him wisdom. God was the one that gave him uh, interpretations of dreams. Gave him the dream itself. Gave him understanding. Faithful obedience brings God's blessings. We, too, are called to a life of faithful obedience, even in the midst of upheaval and tumultuous change. It doesn't matter what's going on around us, if everything's calm and cool, or if everything's a raging tornado. We are called to faithful obedience to God. The circumstances in our lives are irrelevant. They are. Now, I'm not saying they're irrelevant to us. I'm saying they are irrelevant to the fact that we are still called to faithful obedience. They're very relevant at times, aren't they, to us. When nothing in our lives seems stable, our minds can race to worst possible scenarios quickly. When everything is thrown into an upheaval and everything gets torn up in our lives. That's, that's scary, folks, in all kinds of ways. When stability, when, when routine is messed up in people's lives... That throws people off. It does. Legitimately. And, and you, you lose your center of balance. You get off balance and you're like, what's going on here? What am I supposed to be doing? And you start thinking, am I still going to have a job in the future? Is this going to last? What's life going to be like for my children? I've already had people tell me this at work. I don't know if I want to have kids. I mean, I've I said that when I was their age. <clears throat> I'm sure every generation probably says that. Looking at World War II, do I want to bring kids up in, in this? But at the same time, these are the end times. And it's evident. Even people who are in the world can see that this is a unique time in history. War seems imminent. I mean, it doesn't take too much imagination to foresee a World War III happening here pretty soon. Now, I'm not trying to throw out doom and gloom here. I'm just, I'm just looking at the facts, folks. <clears throat> and people see this. There are young people at work that they're quietly scared to death that they're going to be drafted. 
But even when it looks like the bottom has completely dropped out from under us, God is steadfast in our lives. He is dependable. He's faithful. We see every kind of example of it in Scripture. If we look at the life of Joseph, he was given a great promise. He was going to rule over his brethren, and then he was thrown into slavery. Not exactly what he had in mind. He was ripped from his home where he was the favored son and thrown into slavery in another nation, another culture. Everything was upended in his life, just like that. He didn't even have time to get his bearings. He was in chains headed to Egypt. But he stayed faithful to God, and God honored that. Look at the life of King David, anointed king of Israel. And then he was a servant. And then he was a runaway servant. For years and years and years. But he stayed faithful to God. He encouraged himself, the Bible says, in the Lord his God. Because no one else was going to. At Mizpah, when everyone wanted to stone him, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Because there was no encouragement anywhere else, folks. And sometimes we know it comes to that. It comes to that. Because God is steadfast and He is faithful to His people. When we're faithful to Him, we remain obedient to Him. Folks, He's right there. And we can turn to Him for encouragement and for strength and for guidance and for help, whatever it is we have need of. There have been times in our lives I passed the mic around. You guys could probably tell me just off the top of your head. Times when God showed up just in the nick of time. Times when God's deliverance, God's provision showed up just when you needed it most. He's faithful, folks. He is faithful. Stop looking at the circumstances which are always changing. They're always chaotic. Even when it seems like they're calm, there's stuff rumbling under the surface. You just know at any moment when things are calm in your life, you know it's going to blow up here pretty soon because it always does. That's life, folks. That's not fair or unfair. That's not justice or injustice. That's just life. That's life in a fallen world. Things aren't fair, folks. Always demanding things be fair. This isn't fair. I agree, it's not fair, but that's life. Things not fair in my life, in your lives, in everyone's life. Bad things happen to righteous people. Bad things happen to the people of God. As we're going to discover in just a moment, bad things happen sometimes because you're a servant of God. So stop looking at the circumstances. Stop looking for uh, events. Stop looking for for things outside of God to help us and to fix things and to make things right. At best, at best, they're not making things awful. Only in God we can make things right. Only in God, who is our rock and our shield, our high tower, our strong defense, Only He can make things right in our lives. 
Only he can calm the storm. Only he can make things calm again. Even when everything else is chaotic. Sometimes we face trial and difficult situations because of poor choices we've made. We, we recognize that. We're human beings. Sometimes we do human being things. And uh, we, pay the, we pay the price for it. We suffer the consequences for it. I make a dumb choice. I get, I get the benefits of that. I get to fix something. I get to make something right. But other times we face persecution and trial because of our faithful obedience to God. Because of it. What do we do, folks, when our trials are not the result of sin, but the result of righteous living? What do we do then? Do we complain? Do we murmur? This isn't fair. This isn't right. God, I'm serving you with my life. God, I've given up everything to serve you. Look at all I've done. Look at all I've sacrificed. And this is the thanks I get. This is my reward. Now, a lot of us wouldn't say that in so many words. But sometimes our attitude can reflect that. You know, complaining can take more forms than simply verbal, can't it? You ever hear of the the term quiet quitting? Well, it's a thing now uh, with uh, employees. Look it up on, on YouTube. You'll get a ton of stuff on it. People are quiet quitting their jobs. Just what that means is they're just doing the bare minimum. They're not they're not going above and beyond. They're not trying to they're not seeking a promotion. They want nothing to do with a promotion. They just want to get in, do the bare minimum, get out, and then spend the rest of their time living life. Now I gotta say looking at all sides of it, I think there's probably a middle ground in there somewhere. I agree. You shouldn't dedicate your whole life to a company, the eighty, ninety hours, I mean that's crazy. Uh, but at the same time, while I'm there, I think it's good that I give them my all. Uh, that's just being a good witness. That's being a good Christian. I want to be the best employee they have because that's that's a good witness. I'm receiving money from them. If I were paying someone, I'd want them to do the best they could. I would expect that of my employees. I have expected that of my employees. I want to do the same thing now that I'm an employee. So this quiet quitting is, yeah, not interested in any of that. Just do the bare minimum so I don't get fired and then get back to enjoying life. That's quiet quitting. Christians can do that too in the kingdom of God. Christians can quiet quit the kingdom of God as well. Just do the bare minimum I need to to stay Christian, to stay saved, and then go out and enjoy my my time, my life, my money, my stuff. Folks, that's not right. That's not good. Quiet quitting as a Christian is... Well, I'll say it this way. You're one step out the door. 
you're heading in the wrong direction. I'm thankful Jesus didn't quite quit on me. Jesus didn't do the bare minimum for me. He went all the way for me. He did everything for me. So I don't want to do that to him. I want to do the absolute maximum I can do for God. The life of the apostles. They were tortured and killed for serving Jesus. Paul especially. Paul had a great career ahead of him, folks. Student of Gamaliel, top of his class. The world was his oyster. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have went all the way. But then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that blew everything up for him. So now he gave all that up so that he could suffer a life of loss, shipwreck, beatings, betrayals, prison. Yeah, yeah, prison was very comfy for Paul. One guy said it was the only time uh, he had time to write. God had to put him in prison so he could write these epistles for us. How about us? How about us, folks? What's God going to have to do for us? Don't quite quit God, folks. Leave it all on the field. When he comes back, we we want him to see us in the field working. When he comes back, him to see us working, being effectual in his kingdom. Sometimes our trials make it seem like the whole world is against us, but in Daniel's case, that was pretty much true. Because Daniel was favored over the other princes, wise men of the realm, they all desired to see Daniel destroyed. <clears throat> and in that, the way human beings operate. Someone else starts moving forward, doing great things. Yeah. That doesn't inspire me to do great things. That inspires me to pull him back down to my level. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, that's how people are. If you see someone excelling and moving forward in God, Yeah, push him up. Ask him to pull you up. We want to move forward. We want to grow. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to do greater things for him. Why would we seek to destroy someone who has a heart to move forward in God? Don't be that person, folks. And if you are the person that that God has put passion and desire in, to move forward in God. If someone is seeking to to pull you down, pray for them. Try to minister to them. 
They're ignorant, folks. They don't know better. Just help them. And if they won't be helped, just ignore them. Move forward. Move forward in God. It's not you they're attacking. It's not you they're angry at. They wanted to see Daniel destroyed. Because of Daniel's spirit and faithful obedience to God, they could find no fault in him. They could find nothing to get him on. If someone were to come against me and started examining my life, I wonder what they'd be able to find. If someone came against you, seeking to destroy you, what would they find? I pray in my life as well as yours, that they would find what they found in Daniel. No fault in him. So because they couldn't get any dirt on Daniel, they resorted to a trick play. Have the king sign a decree that for the next 30 days, no one could ask a petition of any god or human except the king. Any violators would be thrown into a den of lions. Now Daniel had another tough choice to make, didn't he? So how did Daniel respond? Daniel could have responded. It's just 30 days. I'll just hide low for 30 days and then keep praying after that. No one would have faulted Daniel again. He was under no legal or, or, or uh, cultural compulsion here to pray to God. No one would have faulted him or slighted him in the, in the, in the least. This was all an internal compulsion for him. I don't think even the king would have said anything. But Daniel, he could see the big picture, couldn't he? He didn't pray three times a day because of legal requirement or even because of status or appearance. That's not why Daniel prayed. We see that because he continued to pray despite the decree. He prayed because he loved God. He prayed because he was faithful and obedient to God. We need to remain faithful to God, not only in the good times, folks. We need to remain faithful to God, and we need to continue to serve God with our lives, even when it costs us something. Even when it puts us in a place where we're starting to suffer for it. Because it's right. Because it pleases God. Period. As Christians, we are called to faithful obedience to God. Not faithful obedience to how I feel at the moment. Not faithful obedience to what's going to promote me in this world. Not faithful obedience to what's going to make my life more comfortable. But faithful obedience to God and His commandments for my life. That's what I'm required to obey. That's what I'm required to submit to. My feelings, they're all over the place. And so are yours. They're feelings. That's what they do. But my requirements, my duty, my obligation to serve God with my life remains the same. It remains the same. They're not conditional. Daniel must also have seen that his enemies were never going to stop until they succeeded. If this wouldn't have worked, he probably thought 
Well, they'll try something else. If he would have acquiesced in this one area, they would have found a new area to exploit. But then, of course, he wouldn't have the favor of God at that moment. No matter what they did or didn't do, Daniel would not stop praying. So we see that doing the right things led Daniel to the most difficult trial of his life. Even the king was sorry for Daniel. He spent the night fasting, hoping that Daniel's God would save him because he no longer could. Now let's talk about this king for a moment, shall we? The decree of the Medes and Persians that changes not. It was set up in their legal system that once a king wrote a decree, the king couldn't change it. It was set in stone. He couldn't, well, I changed my mind. I'm going to write a decree that rescinds that. Couldn't do it. Even the king was powerless at this point. Once it was out there, it was done. No one could rescind it. The king truly loved Daniel, and yet King Darius allowed himself to be manipulated by the members of his court. He was a fool. I don't know if he was naive or just stupid. But he didn't see this coming. Now, to be fair, in our political system, those that attain the highest offices are typically pretty politically astute. That's how they're able to do that. And so they're aware of these maneuverings, probably, I would imagine, to an extent. They probably participated in some themselves. The kings, they were born. I mean, that was, my dad was king, so I'm first born, now I'm king. That was the requirement. And so they perhaps didn't have the, the level of astuteness or I don't know. I don't know, but I would, have, I would have thought maybe in a perfect world his dad would have let him in on some secrets here. In any case, he was manipulated. He allowed himself to be placed in a position where he was now powerless to act. And, folks, this is a master stroke for these, these wise men. Not only did they destroy Daniel, but they completely took away the power and the authority of the only person that could save him, at least in their minds. A master stroke. They covered everything. They destroyed Daniel, and they tied the king's hands so he could do nothing to stop him. Wonderful. We got him. This is awesome. Of course, we see as the story unfolds, that that's not the case. Because if Daniel was to be saved, it would have to be by God's hand and no other. We read that God sent angels to stop the mouths of the lions. Although Daniel's enemies had this lockdown, God destroyed their plans. It was a perfect plan, folks. Except for God. <clears throat> the king had his soldiers round up every one of those guys, their wives, their children, 
and threw them into the lion's den. And the Bible says that they were, they were smashed up, they were chewed up before they hit the bottom. That was pretty fast. They were probably pretty hungry. They didn't eat anything the night before. They were fasting alongside the king. This is very similar to the account of of Queen Esther and Haman. The king makes a decree here that he couldn't get out of because Haman tricked him. The Jews, they're they're rabble-rousers. They're rebels. They need to be destroyed. Okay, sign the decree. Jews are going to be destroyed. And again, perfect. King can't do anything to stop it. Haman got what he wanted. But then Queen Esther goes up and petitions the king. Hey, I'm a Jew. You can't do this to my people. Well, again, because Queen Esther had favor, God turned everything around. The king wasn't able to rescind that, but he made another decree stating that the Jews were to be armed and ready. And, of course, Haman, who sought to hang Mordecai, ended up hanging on the same gallows himself. We have many examples of miraculous deliverance, and we've whatever situation when we always must put our hope, our faith, our confidence, our trust in God to deliver us. However, we know that sometimes God does not deliver us. Sometimes he has something else in store for us. We understand that. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 35, we read this. After reading a, a huge account of all of these miracles and signs and things that God did and deliverances. We pick up in verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Folks, we live in a fearful, fallen world. Some things are not fair. There is no real justice, no ultimate justice in this life, in this world. Justice is to come. God will balance the books. Rest assured of that. There will be justice, but probably not here. Sometimes it might be God's will for us to suffer, to go through some things, to be a martyr. People are being martyred today all across the world. Today, folks, I'm not talking about the book of Acts. I'm talking about 21st century. 2023, people are dying because of their belief in Jesus Christ.
Where's their deliverance? Where's their God? Isn't he able to save them too? These are things that some people are going to be thinking about when everything starts getting tough. I want us to have answers to these questions right now. Where's my God now? Where's the God of Daniel now? Book of Acts, chapter 7. This is the account of uh, Stephen, his martyrdom. We'll pick up at verse 54 after he preaches one of the most tough sermons. you're going to preach one sermon, man, this is it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Translation, he died. He went home. Where's the God of Daniel for Stephen? What happened? Second Timothy chapter four, verse nine. This is the Apostle Paul. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with me, and the books, but especially the parchments. Amen, brother. Bring the books. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sounds like he was looking for a deliverance, right? Well, why then? In verses 6 and 7, does he say this? For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He was looking for a deliverance, folks. 
the ultimate deliverance. God does deliver every single time. Every time we put our hope in Him. But there is a hope beyond this life in which everything is made right and we are delivered from every evil work. Our deliverance isn't always going to be here, folks. Just like our justice will not always be received here. Things will continue to be unfair. Things will continue to be unjust in our lives. Probably more and more as the day approaches. But God is steadfast. And he is faithful. And whatever we commit to his charge, he'll keep. Amen. He's worthy of our service. And that worth is independent of my circumstances. Whatever I'm going through or not, he's worthy of my service. He's worthy of my faithful obedience. Amen. Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov of the USSR had his orders as the commander of the Serpukov 15 bunker that included, sounds very Russian, that included a satellite-based detection system. Petrov remained ever vigilant due to the threat of nuclear war. At any moment, the United States might attack Russia and Petrov would have to make a quick decision to retaliate. The Cold War set both countries on edge for decades. So far, most events had played out behind the scenes in a spy versus spy game. Espionage ruled the day, but everything done in the shadows could soon come to light and place the animosity between the two countries on a horrific display of power and madness that could annihilate everyone and everything on the planet. While some might have lived on pins and needles, Petrov remained resolute. He needed a cool head and a discerning heart, but then the unthinkable happened. On September 26, 1983, the Cold War almost turned into all-out nuclear war. Just past midnight, much like a doomsday clock signaling the end of the world in fiery apocalypse, an alarm screamed that the United States had shot five intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, toward Russia. The warning turned out to be false. One of the satellites had caught the sunlight gleaming off the clouds near Montana and interpreted it as a launch of five missiles. Duty required Petrov to communicate the potential missile launch to his superiors. Petrov, however, believed the warning to be a mistake and avoided contacting Soviet high command. He could not imagine the United States choosing to send only five missiles if the Americans really meant to harm the Soviet Union. As sweat beaded down the faces of his colleagues and everyone's blood ran cold with fear, Petrov chose to ignore the warning and claimed the potential launch to be a false alarm in his report. Millions of people across the world went about their day without knowing it had almost been their last. After the Cold War ended, the shocking story came to light. The declassification of records revealed Petrov's wisdom and desire for peace. Petrov won many awards. The United Nations honored him for making the right decision. Like Petrov and Daniel, sometimes we'll be faced with extremely difficult situations. During these times, we must maintain our poise and seek the best possible outcome. Petrov chose to carefully analyze the situation. Although some of his superiors might have viewed his decision as anarchy or treason, Petrov made the right call. Daniel also chose wisely. He ignored warning signs around him that screamed conformity. Instead, he chose to behave righteously and continue praying to the one true God. Daniel trusted in this same God to deliver him from all his trials. Amen. And we can do the exact same things, folks. When everything around us is screaming at us, because I tell you what, folks, 
the world is getting bolder and bolder. The enemy is getting more and more arrogant and in your face. You will conform to my standards. You will dress the way I want you to dress. You'll act the way I want you to act. Telling our kids that, he's telling you that. And we have a choice to make concerning that. Submit to them or submit to the one true God. It's our choice. Let's submit to the one true God and remain faithful to the one who is steadfast and faithful to us. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we are so very thankful for the covenant promises that you've given us upon which we stand each and every day. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that as we remain faithful to you, help us. Help us to move forward. When things get tough, when situations uh, become intense, and we're tempted to conform, we're tempted to, to alter our course and leave the solace of the one true living God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would put something in our hearts, a, a fervency, a passion, a desire, a, a stubbornness, if you will, to maintain our faithfulness, to maintain our obedience to the Lord our God. Because, Lord, we see every single day, your faithfulness to us, your steadfastness to us. Hallelujah, Jesus. You gave everything to me. I want to give everything to you. I pray, Lord, as, as our service continues, that you would work wondrously and gloriously in our midst, that you would minister to each and every need, that your name would be glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back here at a quarter till for our worship service.